This is the Winnipeg Crime Stoppers podcast. See something, say something. Winnipeg Crime Stoppers. A podcast where we discuss crime prevention, awareness, our community involvement, those who are wanted, and unsolved crimes. My name is Shalinda Kirby, and I'll be your host. Welcome back to part two of Getting to Know Constable Doug Singleton. Last week, we learned how Constable Singleton had a late start to his career as a police officer after working at places like Canada Post and Zeller's. We also learned why he chose a career in law enforcement and why his background makes him the perfect fit. Constable Doug Singleton, you mentioned the toll that the job takes on you. As a police officer, what effect does the job have on your mental health? I worked with a guy in forensics who had a perfect response in court one time. And I think it lends itself to this where he was asked to imagine something that hadn't happened. Just like, or what would have happened this? And his response was, I can't unknow what I already know. And it's, it's one of those things where whatever we see as police officers, we will always carry that with us. And I, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where uh, the reality is, as a police officer, you're going to deal with people on the worst day of their lives more often than not. They're not inviting the police to come to their house to celebrate Christmas or a birthday party or anything. You're going because something's wrong and it's really bad, so they've called the police. It's huge that police officers or paramedics or firefighters or anybody, doctors, nurses, if you're struggling with anything involving your mental health or involving work or how work plays out at home, talk to somebody, because that's the number one thing is that uh, my wife is an emergency nurse we can basically talk on a level where where i don't have to kind of edit things she's seen a lot as an emergency nurse so i don't have to kind of dumb things down to her or or edit it so we can talk about what we've been through in the day and and obviously the most like open-ended sort of way nothing specific sort of stuff either one of us but just in the most uh roundabout ways we can talk about like the 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 situations that we've dealt with during the day and that is huge as far as getting that off of your chest there was uh an officer Thane Chartrand and he had actually written an article that had been picked up by some of the community newspapers and he talked about he'd worked in homicide for a couple of different times over the years and everything that he dealt with that was bad he put it in a suitcase in the corner somewhere and and sooner or later that suitcase gets full and it's got it's it's got nowhere to go you've got nothing else you can jam in there and all of a sudden now you're you're, you're dragging around this suitcase and and at some point in time you need to open it up and deal with it and it can be a daunting experience i mean at the end of the day we're not looking at like minor things i mean i don't want to take away anything like that somebody who's working in a factory or an office building but like we're dealing with visuals that people don't and shouldn't have to i mean the reality is we volunteer to come to this job and work at knowing full well what we're going to be doing so i don't want your average citizen to, to be able to, or to have to experience the things that we experience or have to witness the things that we witness on a regular basis. That's that's our job. But we need to take care of our mental health and, and talk about it. And if you have issues, then maybe it means taking time off of work. Maybe it means transferring out of a unit that, that causes you some huge amounts of stress to get a break, to go back to general patrol or, or work in a more community oriented sort of thing where you're not dealing with, you know, the, the, the awful things that human beings are capable of doing to each other. You're dealing with the stresses. You're dealing with all of the awful things that can occur and that we see and we experience on a regular basis. And I think the, the most important thing is to be able to sit down, 
and talk about it and work your way through it. At the end of the day, you're still dragging it around. Um, there's things that I've seen and experienced in my, you know, 21 years as a police officer that I'll never forget. Like I remember incident numbers of, of murders that I investigated that lasted over, over the investigations lasted over a year, like the incident numbers and, and the people's names. Like I remember names of victims. I remember uh, Simone Sanderson. I'll take that to my grave with me. That poor girl, it's not something that I'll ever forget. Like Simone said, 176500. That was the incident number from 2012. So 11 years later, I remember the incident number. I remember her name. I remember the exact location we found her. And I remember everything about that. It's, it's in my dream sometimes. So we need to sit down and talk about it. Don't be shy about it. It's not something where, where you have to soldier on or you have to be tough about it. It's like, being tough and being strong is being able to go and talk to somebody if you're having troubles because your family shouldn't be punished because of this because of your job and you shouldn't be punished it your friends shouldn't be punished you should be able to go to somebody and say this is what i'm struggling with i need help i need to talk about it please listen to me you spoke on what you can do as a police officer to maintain a healthy state of mental health and the effect that the job can have on your mental health you know, I'm sure one of the hardest things as a police officer is making a notification of death to the family of a loved one that has passed away. And you shared a story with me that I want you to share with us, Constable Singleton, that uh, really stuck with me. Broke down. Like he was, he went from being extremely, extremely sad and heartbroken to being extremely, like he wanted to bring his ex-brother-in-law back to life so that he could do that ex-husband, like it was the harm. So it was like, he was absolutely across the spectrum, like, and we stuck around and we stuck around, we talked and we didn't want to leave him in that manner. Cause you know, with people like that, you never know, you never know, like somebody who's like pretty solid, rock solid, they get information like that. And you never know how they're going to react to it. And we wanted to make sure that this gentleman was in, was in good shape um, or as good a shape as he could possibly be um, when we left him. So we talked to him some more. And we told him, you know, like, so it looks like this is the information that we got from the RCMP, your sister and her boyfriend. And we continued to talk, talk, talk. So after a while talking, he goes, you know, my, my sister doesn't have a boyfriend that I know. We're pretty close and she's never mentioned any boyfriend or really any male friends that she, that she has. She goes, uh, I, I know that she's living with my brother right now. And everybody just kind of, he didn't key into it initially. All of us just stopped and we said like, hold on, we got to go out to the car for a couple of minutes. So. Two of us left, went and called the RCMP, and at that point in time, they told us, yeah, the other person that had been killed was actually his brother. So now we're telling him that two third, like most of his family has been now wiped out. Again, he goes through the entire spectrum of absolutely beside himself, sorrow and pain, and uh, and then he's like, completely angry, and, and I mean, you have to just watch the the people because you have to make sure that they're going to be okay. But just having to absorb all of that, I mean, you can't, I mean, you'd have to be completely heartless, heartless to sit there, tell them that and be like a stone and not like, I don't, I don't know this person. I don't remember much about them. I don't even know if I'd recognize them again, but I remember the pain that he was in. And it was like, you can't sit there and not feel bad for them. You can't feel that empathy. It's impossible. Like, it, it, it's just not a human thing to be able to, to to watch somebody suffer like that. So we stayed with him for quite a while. And uh, 
he basically started to come down and he was more level-headed and his wife was there at this point in time so um they were able to kind of gather themselves and we said you know what are you sure everything he goes you know what at this point in time there's there's nothing i can do i just need to figure out how i'm going to break this to my parents and we're like oh man like it was it was absolutely heartbreaking and probably the hardest thing that i've ever had to do as far as that one um yeah like telling people i've i've watched um we had a um a murder many years ago and the person who had been killed didn't have any identification on them so um we had heard that this person was this person um just a name had been given to us we were able to ascertain could possibly be them contacted a family member this gentleman's mother had to come down to the morgue we had to peel back the blankets and show her his face and again how do you not like just thinking about that i can remember that situation like it happened yesterday being down in the morgue watching her like hit the ground like she was just beside herself i think the i think the guy was like maybe 20 years old and uh yeah it's like those sort of um jobs are are something that we have to do it's it's kind of like that's what we we signed up for but it's part of the suitcase that Dane Chartrand talked about you're sticking stuff in there going home and talking to my wife about it talking to the guys that I worked with we left there and we went for coffee and we talked about that notification with the or the where the with a gentleman lost his brother and sister were had been murdered we spoke probably to a half hour 45 minutes just talking about it and you know just running through it and it's like well, there's nothing we could have done differently it's not one of those one of those sessions it was more along the lines of like how do you guys feel about this like that would be like the each one of us that would be like the like how, how would you react to that and it was like well i don't know what i would do it's like i don't want to think about what i would do in that and to this day it's like i never i never want to be in that situation but it's unfortunate um and it's a terrible part of the job but it's something that we do and uh i don't I, again i don't know anybody who takes any kind of like uh takes anything away other than just absolute sorrow from that it's just another case of like police officers are human and being involved in situations like that uh, makes us even more human i think it's it's a terrible job and I wouldn't wish it upon anybody. Prior to jumping into the role that you have with Winnipeg Crime Stoppers, what was your knowledge of the program like? And and what is it now like to be a police coordinator for Winnipeg Crime Stoppers? I'll be 100% honest. I knew nothing about Crime Stoppers other than the fact that the, the advertising, the phone ringing, it, it, when the phone rang in the IDENT office, I was the, jo- the, the, uh, the joker who would always go, Crime Stoppers? Because I thought it was hilarious, but and I knew nothing really about the details of Crime Stoppers other than Crime Stoppers took tips on crimes. I didn't know much about the like the rewards or the people that were giving the tips, the quantity of tips, the quality of tips that were coming in. I had no clue about that sort of thing. Being in this position now, it's amazing. It's it's as close to police work as we can get without having to actually go and put on the, you know, the, the work belt and slap on the uniform and head out for the day to, to solve crimes. I would never equate what we're doing right now with that, but it's close to, it's, it's, it's close in that we get to help. I get requests from the homicide unit, from major crimes, domestic violence, sex crimes. Can you help us by identifying this person who's wanted for a crime or by finding out where this person, we know who he is and he's wanted. Can you put this on your list? They find it useful that that what we're doing and that is like 
hugely eye-opening for me. I really, I didn't realize how important that could be. So obviously it's a huge thing for them. I, I love this position. I love to be able to help. This summer, my first Canada Day with Canada, with uh, Crime Stoppers, people loved it. Like they literally loved walking up and telling us a little story. Even after they found out that I was a police officer, they wanted to come up and talk to us and chat. And, you know, I said like, bring up an issue or whatnot. We give them advice as to how to deal with a crime. So if you want to make a Crime Stoppers tip, this is what you do. Handing out flags and pens and the goodies and stuff like that. But it was great to be the face and, and, and what people see as the Crime Stoppers, uh, Winnipeg Crime Stoppers. Yeah, the, the involvement in that was fantastic. And any kind of community involvement, I, I really enjoy. But the differences were kind of huge. And uh, initially, it was kind of like, holy crow, like, how am I going to transition? But uh, I found the transition extremely easy. And I really, really enjoy going through the tips that come in on a regular basis and sending them off to investigators and then finding out that an investigator has used that tip and made an arrest or solved a crime based on that. It's like fantastic. It's what more could you ask for than the information that we've gotten, we've sent it off to the right person. They've used it and it's helped them out immensely. They send us a thank you and and I, and I say, well, keep them coming. Like, if you guys need any help from us, let us know because that's what we are. We're a support unit for the Winnipeg Police. Our part of it, the I mean, the the, the volunteer board is is one thing, but the the actual police unit, we're a, we're a, a support unit. We we help out the Winnipeg Police, and then we give that information to Crime Stoppers, and they use that information to decide you know, this, this tip was worth this amount of money and this tip was worth this amount of money. So I, I really enjoy it. So not just with Crime Stoppers, but taking into account all your years as a police officer and all the different units that you've worked in, if somebody were to ask you, Constable Singleton, what the most rewarding part of your job is, what would that be? You know, it's going to sound kind of funny, but the first thing that comes to my mind was a couple of times that I was able to go to my daughter's schools and talk to the kids. And I remember one specific instance where, um, and I don't know if I told you the story or not already, but I went to an assembly and I said to the, uh, I said to the teachers, I said, I'm going to ask them a question. And I guarantee you that I know what the answer is going to be. It's going to be a boy and he's going to answer gun. And they're like, what? I said, wait. So I got up in front of all these kids and the teachers and whatnot, the, the gym was packed. And I introduce myself and I, and I tell them, you know, what I do and stuff like that. And then the first thing I say to them is, can anybody tell me the most important piece of equipment on my tool belt? I say, because this is what this is. It's a tool belt. I've got all kinds of stuff on here. What do you think the most important thing is? Right away, a boy's hand shot up. I said, what do you think it is? He goes, your gun. I'm like, that's the most dangerous thing that I carry on my tool belt. But the most important thing is my radio. And I point to my left hip and I said, because that lets me communicate with every other police officer and all of the staff that dispatch cars in the city of Winnipeg. And if I need help, I can be there and I'm in an instant. And if somebody else needs help, I can go help them and we can communicate information back and forth. And communication is hugely important in our world. And the kids' mouths just kind of dropped, spoke a little bit longer. And one of the teachers walked up to me afterwards and she goes, you know what? That was probably the most informational thing I've ever heard in my life. And she goes, it's like, I never thought of your radio being as important as it is. She goes, now I look at what police officers do fundamentally differently because it's not just your gun. It's not the weapons you carry. It's it's the radio. I said, if I'm lucky in my career, I'll never pull my gun out of the holster or have to. I use the radio multiple times a day. What is more important? Something you use, hoping to never use or something that you use all the time to do different things. So the community involvement is fantastic. Dealing with kids, dealing with dealing with people that maybe need a little push. 
I've dealt with different people um, who were maybe a little down on their life. Not necessarily, they weren't like suspected of anything or they weren't necessarily, you know, they might have been the victim of something and they just need kind of like to know that, you know what, you're better than this. Like you can, you can make yourself into something. You are something. You can make yourself into something better. Like don't get down on yourself. Everybody makes mistakes and, and it's, it's how you recover from those things. And just probably hearing it from somebody who's in a uniform with a gun on their head, back to that, who has authority telling them that, yeah, they're worthwhile and, and they could make something of their lives and, and they have a life that's like good. They, they can make something of their lives and, and, and have a good existence and that they're a great, a good person for just trying. Yeah. That, that, that brings a smile to my face all the time. Uh, there aren't many things that put a smile on my face over 21 years of working the job that was work related, but that's one of them. Just dealing with people who maybe were in a situation, they just needed a little bit of help and I could provide them with that help. And it made me happy. So that's the most obvious answer. I mean, there's, there's those, the number two thing would obviously be um, being involved in investigations that were maybe long-term, maybe short-term, and we were able to help them come to um, an end with those investigations, whether it's an arrest or deciding what paths to follow on an investigation. Homicide investigations, helping to find out who is responsible for a homicide, that is uh, an adrenaline rush more than anything else, right? I mean, like, if you're involved in an investigation like that and and there's somebody's life has been taken and you're trying to ascertain who was responsible for that, and, you, and you've got the answers. The homicide unit is coming to you going like, whose fingerprint is that? Like, whose footwear impression is that? Like, where, where do we go from here? You got a lot of power and that's, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's an ego stroke for sure, but it's also knowing that your involvement in it helped them find out who was responsible for a crime such as a murder. It's, it's, it, that is very, very big on the list as well. And last but not least, can you speak on the decline in trust between the public and the police in recent years? I wholeheartedly um, fight for the right for people to um, protest things. I mean, if you don't like the way something is 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 happening, then you have the right to protest safely and and respectfully. Um, I think that people protesting uh, police in general. I, I kind of I understand it, but I don't fully understand where they're coming from in that the officers that work for the Winnipeg Police Service, every officer that I've ever worked with, their goal is to get the job done, help people out. And, and that's what I mean by getting the job done. It's it's helping people in whatever situations they are, and then they get home safely. They Most of the people that I, that I uh, work with are married. Um, there are ones that are single, but they have parents and they have siblings and they have kids. Um, There's no officer that I know of that wants to put themselves in any jeopardy um, to do things that are bad. I mean, at the end of the day, we've applied for a job that is difficult and you know that, but you find out that it's even more difficult once you start it. And then you're tasked with dealing with people, some people who want to see you and some people really don't want to see you. In the last few years, there have been a lot of very violent uh, incidents south of the border that have caused a lot of um, protests and a lot of things like defund the police and whatnot. And, and, I, and it's, I think it's a little different situation in Canada and mostly in Winnipeg with what I deal with than it is south of the border. I think that almost everybody that I work with, they have the right idea in their heads and they want to do the right thing on a constant basis. Um, and like I said, their goal is to help the people out that need the help and then 
get home safely every night. They're not going to, they're not trying to do anything to get themselves in any kind of trouble because most of the officers I, that, that I know are fully aware that if you do something, there are many, many cameras out there attached to cell phones that are, that are watching us. So nobody's going to do anything consciously that's going to jeopardize their, their jobs, really their careers. Um, they're standing within the, within the community, the, the Winnipeg police services identity. I understand the protests when something bad happens. I don't think, and I, and I, and I can't put myself in everybody's shoes. I don't think that they fully understand. And I, and I, and I wouldn't expect people to understand what the, the, the job is that, that police officers do on a daily basis, what they are required to do. Like there are certain things where it's like, it's not my discretion to whether or not I arrest somebody. If somebody's done something, well, I have to arrest them then. And then it's up to the courts as to whether or not that they get released and whatnot. Um, use of force encounters. I, I can't even go into what would happen during any one particular use of force encounter, uh, especially when there's a fatal, um, a fatal, a fatality involved in that use of force. Like an officer, I don't know any one police officer that it would revel in the fact that he's been put in the point, put in the position where he has to use the ultimate use of force and yeah I, I, and, and take somebody's life based on that person's actions every every person every investigation that i've ever been involved in where there's been an officer involved shooting when we interview the officer i can tell you they look grave like they don't want to they don't want to be there they don't didn't want that to happen they didn't they didn't plan it I would go so far as to say that they, they 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 wish that it hadn't happened. Like they would have rather been anywhere else other than where they were when that particular when that particular matter happened. Um, so yeah, protests are 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 great for you know voicing your opinions and uh, nonviolent, respectful protest is something that we as Canadians are have the right to do. So that's great. It keeps it keeps policing, I think, generally in check. I, I don't think that if, if, if there's a respectful and a nonviolent protest and it involves something that the police have done, well, then you know what, then then do your protests, make sure that you maintain those two caveats that it's nonviolent and that it's respectful. And um, you know what, the, between the press and those, uh, and, and those um, protests, it sort of is a check mechanism for the police sort of thing. It's like, yeah, you know what, the reality is, is that 99% of police officers are fantastic. They do the job because they want to help people, and they and and they have ab absolutely nothing but good ideas in their head. And then there's that less than one percent. It's like I can't guarantee you that all doctors have the right ideas in their heads, or nurses, or firefighters, or, or paramedic. Any any group of people, there are going to be unfortunately one or two uh, people that go above and beyond, who break out of the norm and do something that they shouldn't have done. I like to think that in the Winnipeg Police Service, those people are dealt with swiftly and, and fairly, but still hard, enough that um, they will be gone. If, they, if you've done something really bad, then you need to be removed from the Winnipeg Police Service because um, that's not what we stand for. We're here to help people, not to harm them at the end of the day. And, and that's a police thing. It's like, we're here to help people, not to, to hurt them. Um, when we do our, our training for, um, for use of force, it's you have to stop the threat and the threat isn't necessarily that it could be to um, another person like there's all kinds of situations that occur and sometimes we need to stop the threat and if we can stop the threat semi non-violently 
non-lethally, then they will use that every time because I don't, like I said, I don't know any officers who would revel in the fact of using the ultimate form of use of force. They don't, they, they hate it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. And um, yeah, it's, it's a terrible experience, I'm sure. I hope that I never have to go through that in my career. But um, I, I, I hope that in the next few years, we can repair some of the damage. Maybe I, I think a lot of that has to do now with um, our recruiting process. You go back to the 60s and 70s, probably the early 80s, they were recruiting uh, the Winnipeg Police Service and all police services were recruiting tall Caucasian males. Now they're not. Now they're recruiting people. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not a matter of, they don't care how tall you are. You know, they don't care what your sexual orientation is. They don't care what your religion is or your skin color or whether or not you can wear the police cap or you have to wear uh, a turban. Um, they don't care about that. They just want good people. And I think the more diverse the picture is, the, the better the understanding amongst the communities that, yeah, we're here to help you because it's, it's hard to be racist when you're working with such a diverse group of people and getting along with them. It's, I, I would hope that racism uh, doesn't have a place within the Winnipeg Police Service. And I think the more uh, diverse we hire, the less chance that racism actually being there because you're having to work hand in hand with every race that exists because of the, the cultural melting pot that Winnipeg is. Thank you for being a part of the last two episodes, Constable Singleton. You're guaranteed to hear his voice in future podcast episodes. If you'd like to reach out to Constable Singleton, you can find his contact information in the show notes of this podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can find our email address on our website at winnipegcrimestoppers.com. Until next time, my name is Shalinda Kirby. And remember, see something? say something.